0: Welcome to the Content and Community Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Ashby. I'm an inbound marketing consultant, and I love to explore ways can share, people can share their expertise to bring in sales. My guest today is probably even more jazzed about community than I am, and that says a lot. It's Natalie Frank from a really cool client management software called HoneyBook. At the time of this recording, Natalie has been head of had been head of community for HoneyBook for several years. And since then, she's been transferring skills and insights from that position into her new role as chief evangelist. She says, I believe that we have a unique opportunity as a company to leverage technology to support our members as they build sustainable livelihoods. As chief evangelist, I want every independent business owner to experience the freedom that comes from having a seamless work client client flow. It is the revenue generated while they sleep the extraordinarily happy clients that refer them or a qualified business and the time saved to spend doing more of what they love, which is end quote. I mean, <laughs> it's everything that I love about community and what it, what it does. So I'm super, super delighted to be uh, sharing our chat with you. Full disclosure though, uh, since recording this episode, I've been so impressed with HoneyBook that I've actually registered as an affiliate marketer for the company. This means that I can get commission from sales made with my special link, which you'll probably see in uh, pages associated with this podcast. I'm super stoked to be launching this episode because I loved chatting with Adelie. Enjoy. You have a book coming out. Wow, that's exciting! And it's I like do. on a topic that's very close to my heart. How did that? How did that come about? Were you already in this yes. business before you started writing it, or?
1: Uh, it's it's a great question. So I actually have spent the last six years of my life building communities. Um, it began when I was a full time wedding photographer. I had just graduated from Penn, and I started photography to you know make money on the weekends, pay for my college education. But it quickly became a full time business, and I realized after going full time and building that small business that entrepreneurship was incredibly lonely. And that leadership in many capacities in our in our life can be incredibly lonely in so many different ways. And so, I actually started and entered into the community building arena from that point of loneliness and from that um, entry point of feeling the pain and needing a solution and kind of looking around and going, I don't see what I need anywhere. You know, the unique um, type of community where creators in my space were coming together in the spirit of community and not out of competition, not out of fear that sharing knowledge, ideas, and supporting folks that do the same thing that you do could take away from their business. And so right. I set out to change that. And I co-founded the Rising Tide Society. And it started as a simple coffee meetup. But over the last six years, we've expanded to over 70,000 members and hundreds of local chapters around the world. And um That experience, building that community from the ground up, scaling that community, being acquired by a tech company, stepping into the role of head of community at HoneyBook, and also working sort of in the SaaS space to build product communities – Um, just, just made it apparent to me that there is such a need to address the fact that the world tells us we are to compete with one another. The world kind of pits us against one another, especially in these highly competitive arenas. We talk about entrepreneurship, but it extends so far beyond that to so many different aspects of our lives, whether you're working in the corporate world and trying to, you know, climb your way up that corporate ladder or you're a parent and suddenly it feels like parenthood is one giant competition. Um. The competition is so is so present, but although we are in many ways created to compete, um, we're wired to compete, we are ultimately built to belong. And so the book was born out of those realizations over the last six years of building communities in highly competitive spaces, understanding the mindset shifts that have to happen in order for us to really overcome some of the narratives we've been taught, to tackle things like comparison, you know, obviously a mm. scarcity mindset and step into into a new mindset and a new framework for thinking when we engage with other people in, in communities such that we actually can forge deep and meaningful relationships. We actually can enter a room not in a traditional networking sense. I hate the word networking, you know, where it's like, what can I get out of it? Like, what yeah. can I get from from this? Instead walking into a room and saying, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I show up and provide value? Um, and what that does and how that transforms entire ecosystems and um, you know, groups of people. And so that's what the, the heart of the book is really about tackling that for ourselves as individuals. But it started from my own journey sort of through the, the muck and the mess of needing community, building community, scaling community, stepping beyond the entrepreneurial space even to work into tech and tech communities and advise startups that are building communities and just seeing sort of these these similar issues and pain points that, that kind of attack us at different stages and, and how to combat that and really... Grow meaningful relationships with others in our personal and professional lives.
0: Yeah, I, uh, any community I've been a part of, um, it really does. Uh, what's the word? It, it it can't kind of works based on the quality of the moderation, and I feel like a lot mm. of people especially professionals are afraid of communities being like as just a space where it's a bunch of talking heads and like, you know, by the, just a bunch of calls to actions, like buy this, do this or whatever. And I think a lot of people are just jaded. Uh, Like, how do I know that this is a legit community? How do I actually make a name for myself when there are like 30, 300 other people doing the same thing that I do? Um, Yeah. So I, I, I think, overcoming that is probably probably one of the biggest challenges I would think in creating a community. Did you have to overcome a lot of myths or a lot of um, apprehensions or did people just come right on board, get it right away, what you're doing?
1: I think a little of both. You know, in in kind of looking retrospectively at what we've built um, over the last five, six years, I mean, it was clear from the beginning that there was just such a need that there was a natural influx of people into the community. But then when you tackle sort of this myth side of it, or even you know the, the concerns, right? The, the myths and concerns and the struggles that we face, of course, not only were they there in the beginning, but they've shifted and changed as the community has grown and as our world has changed. I mean, our world doesn't look anything like it did six years ago when we started Rising Tide. Um, you know, and we've been through a lot in the past six years, and so collectively, and so you know, I think some of the biggest myths that that I dealt with right from the start is you know our mantra is community over competition, and mm. a lot of folks that had been especially long time entrepreneurs or had done this you know building small businesses or you know whatever in in their competitive arena for a long time, sort of looked at this and said, well that doesn't sound like it's going to work. You know, what is this like kumbaya? We sit in a circle, hold hands and sing and (laughs) try to forget that we're actually competitors. And so that's one of the biggest misconceptions about the work that I do. And I talk about it at length in the book about the fact that competition is widely misunderstood. Um, Competition inherently is actually a wonderful thing for our bodies. Competition acts as a performance enhancing drug of sorts in the brain. You know, there have been studies done where human beings, especially, and other animals, not just humans, perform better just simply in the presence of another human being in the arena. Just having one other person competing against them or observing their behavior yields higher output. And they've done this with weightlifters and, you know, it's – qualitatively, we've all kind of felt it, you know, that that adrenaline rush when suddenly – you know, if you've ever played an intramural sport or sport growing up where somebody else, you know, is on the field with you, on the court with you, takes the swimming block next to you, um, you know, and that, that moment of, oh, you know, there's competition, that spark of life that kind of fills our, our bodies and our minds. And so competition isn't inherently a negative thing. And, and when we say community over competition, we're not saying, you know, let's pretend like competition doesn't exist or let's, you know, vilify competition Mm -hmm. as this terrible thing in our lives. Because the reality is when competition is healthy, it's a wonderful thing. It spurs innovation. It sparks our greatest ideas. It gives us that little jolt of energy that we sometimes need to kind of push through and keep doing the hard work and even discover things for ourselves that we never knew we were capable of. But what has happened and what I've seen, especially as we've kind of emerged in, in sort of this new technological reality where... You know, we are inundated with the successes of other people on a daily basis. We are overwhelmed with the amount of content we are consuming that other people are putting out into the universe. We kind of begin to swallow the highlight reels as reality of people's lives, their career accomplishments, you know, and 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 we do it in such a way that we aren't competing in a healthy manner anymore. You know, we aren't competing from, from a healthy place of, of an arena where you know, the boundaries are clearly marked. The rules are clearly in place. We follow and, and obey sort of a, an unspoken or spoken, you know, uh, ab- and abiding by this, this idea of sportsmanship, for instance, if we're talking about athletics or even a code of ethics, if we're talking about entrepreneurship, small business. Um, and life. and and sort of these things have started to be thrown out the window in so many arenas. and i use I use a bunch of examples in the book, but even like, you know, the most recent, you know, college bribery scandals where, you know, it's like we we are at such we are at such a place where individual performance is so highly valued that we are doing unethical things in order to get our kids into better colleges or we see people, you know, taking performance enhancing drugs in different types of arenas in order to push themselves to the next level and kind of this this competition has has emerged to be unhealthy and in the small business space there's no shortage of examples either and so the biggest misconception is well what do you mean community over competition how how could we possibly navigate without competition and it's not without it's just putting people before the competition it's it's living and operating from a mindset that community comes first. And our understanding is that we will compete, but we must ensure it's in a healthy way. I'll never step on somebody else to make myself taller, right? Right. An adaptation of the mindset, right? And just shifting how how we perceive it. And so that's definitely been a challenge, especially in a community of competitors, a community where, you know, you are actually competing in the same space. and, And that applies not just in small business. That's sort of my Corner of the world, but even content marketing or marketers, right? The idea that marketers can, should, and do have communities where they come together and they might be competing for the same freelance opportunities or consulting gigs or uh, roles at companies, but there's still so much value in coming together and collectively sharing ideas and best practices and upholding these ethics and these standards that have become very important, but so easily overlooked when we prioritize competition and individual performance over. The collective and over what is right.
0: Yeah, even little things. People, a lot of people just are unaware of. Like, a lot of freelance writers get a lot of their work from other freelance writers because they're mm-hmm. in a different niche, or they're overloaded, or um, there's all these opportunities for for people in business who are actually competitors to actually help each other and and doing so help themselves, you know, if, you, if it's like, um, what's that, that's a store in the department store in England. there was a show about it. Selfridges or mm-hmm. suffrages or anyway, I'll look it up. <laughs> um, basically what he did was he, part of his strategy when he was starting the business was, if people came to his store and his store didn't have what they wanted, the clerk would look through the catalog of the store that was like across the street or somewhere nearby and see if they had it. And if they had it, they would refer that client or prospect over to that store. And people were saying, why are you referring me elsewhere? This doesn't make sense, but it actually brought him more business because it made him, um, people respected him because he was honest. This company was honest. They respected that um, they wanted what was best but They're listening to the client. And yeah, it became part of his whole thing. And it, it's, I don't know how common it is now, but it's its just one of those things that like being, being part of a community, even when you're like, potentially lose a direct sale in this moment even, even that can be healthy. Oh, absolutely. And it all comes yeah.
1: it all comes back around. You know, I think what what you're really referencing here is the idea that, you know, when you realize you're not the best fit for a particular opportunity, operating from that mindset of abundance and knowing the right opportunity will still walk through the door for you, but you have an opportunity here to actually be a a great resource and provide a referral out to somebody else, Mm -hmm. whether that's freelance writing or here in the case of this department store. And I see it every single day in the work that we do in the community that I work in. And even when I was back in the day as a photographer, you know, I could only take so much work every year. And when I hit my cap of 39 to 40 weddings a year, which is still outrageous to think about that I photographed that many weddings in a year, uh, I, I had a ton of business still coming in because I had found success in my, my market. And so I would refer that business out to other professionals. And what I learned um, is, one, it's proof of the idea that you know someone else's success doesn't take away from your own, but actually can build the success of others. So when mm. someone in an industry is doing an extraordinary job, when a department store is renowned for being the best in its field, when a writer is well sought after – and preferred, right? And they actually find success. It's easy for us to look at someone in our space who's doing well and think, well, then less for me. But but what I've actually found so often, now again, there are always exceptions, but so often is that the success of one can actually be to the benefit of all. That when Mm -hmm. one person succeeds, it could either be through something very tactical like referrals, but also it can be through shattering glass ceilings and changing what had been done in the past, right? Setting new records that encourage us all to reach for more. It could be bringing new innovative ideas to the table that spark yet more innovative ideas from the collective. And so we see often this fear of, well, if they're winning, then I'm losing. But so often Mm -hmm. I think if we're able to switch that mindset to say, well, if they're winning, so can I. If they're having success, so can I. If they're doing something and, and finding a market for it, there that's that's not evidence that I shouldn't pursue that route. It's just market validation that there's a need. And therefore, if I attempt to to move in that direction or I take learnings from what I'm seeing in the marketplace and put my unique lens on it, my unique spin, my unique offering, my unique value proposition, you know, it 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 doesn't it it, it, it kind of leans us in a direction where we can all thrive just a little bit more and so. That's one side of it, but also that, that mindset of abundance versus scarcity. I mean, this has been, you know, talked about forever and um, originated in the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, you know, it, it goes back to this idea that so often we're, you know, people would say to that department store owner, well, how could you send business away? How could you possibly do that? You know, what are, what are you imagining doing that? You're going you're gonna to lose that customer, but the reality being that there is more than enough opportunity out there. Um, and I truly have found that to be evident in our current technological landscape where now we may be physically separated, but we're digitally together. We're connected by the internet. So I can do work for someone in Tel Aviv, or I can consult with a startup in you know, San Francisco. I'm based now on the East Coast, or I can, and, and I'm not bound by my geography. So abundance is even more evident today than I think it was in the past. And so You know, it's this combination of acknowledging that the success of one can actually become the success of many in certain circumstances and moving away from these mindsets of scarcity that I need all the business, I need all the clients, I need to say yes to every single opportunity that inbounds in my inbox because maybe tomorrow it won't be there. And instead, saying no, like I have a clear purpose and direction for myself or my career or my business. And I know and I am confident that the right opportunities are going to come through the door if I keep putting in the work and I keep showing up and I keep innovating and all of the great things that we need to do. And so it's just adopting these different mindsets and just starting to shift our conscious behavior around, our conscious mindset and our behavior around the, these sort of daily, daily occurrences that we come up against.
0: Yeah. There's, um, it reminds me of uh, like any kind of any kind of labor advocacy, whether it's like a hundred years ago or fairly recently, it requires people who all do the same thing to come together. That's the only thing, that's the only way change can happen is if we're all voicing similar things and we're all like, like backing up each other's messages. And um, it's, it's really fascinating to see how the internet can, can foster that further. And uh, I'm wondering if, if you have any particular Um, learning points for an individual who's never really been part of a community as a professional and doesn't really know how to look at it in terms of like their overall business development. Like how do they Mm -hmm. decide which communities to participate in? How do they decide like what time to devote to it so that it's not like taking too much of their time? Are there KPIs that people can look into or uh, watch out for when they're exploring communities for their business?
1: So many fantastic questions.
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> i Thank you. Like four th- ones.
1: <laughs> I love it. It's like it's like a course, and there's like five of them. Yes, I know. And I'll try to hit them all. <laughs> um, I'll do my I'll do my best. Um, but kind of taking a step back, I think again at at a more macro level, it starts by acknowledging what what you're looking to get out of a community and also what you have to offer a community. And this is going to be a unique balance that I think will shift in different seasons of your life. And I'll give I'll give some specific examples. So if you're just starting in your career, right, you might have less to offer a community in terms of knowledge and wisdom, but you might have more to offer when it comes to investing time, volunteering, starting to grow in roles in that community where you can actually, you know, do some of the heavy lifting, right? Um, but maybe you're not coming in as the speaker or as the educator in that space instead you're the one actually learning and gaining a ton of value or maybe you're at a point in your career where you want to pivot you want to try something new or you want to launch a new business or you're joining the you know the great resignation of 2021 and You've decided <laughs> you're quitting and you want to do something new, right? This is another area where community can be really beneficial. So getting clear on, okay, what is my goal? What what do I want to get out of this? What do I want to put into it? It's very simple, very elementary, but it, it shocks me all the time that so many folks just look for groups to join and they join a billion groups and don't deeply engage in a single one of them or get any value out of a single one of them. And so that's why I encourage starting from a place of, okay, what do I need to get out of it? What am I willing to put into it? And having those clear boundaries and understanding set from day one before you even start your search, before you start kind of investigating what communities exist in your space, because again, going back to purpose, going back to why, it's always very, very important to have clarity there. And so that that would be my first recommendation, tactically, for someone who's listening to this and saying, okay, I hear you, and I think it's finally time that I dig either back into community or I'm in a new season where I need to, to lean into a new community. So getting clear on that is important. And then what I'd also recommend is having an understanding, too, of sort of what is what is out there in the landscape. So you're going to have opportunities to join communities that are very peer-to-peer. There are also maybe communities that are require investment, let's say, but are aligned around mentorship, or um, a mastermind or an educational experience being taught by a leader in your field. Not always requiring an investment, by the way. There's so much incredible free kind of access out there. And many folks do lead free communities. But I've noticed that if we're talking about professional development, um, yes, while a lot can be gained from some of these peer-to-peer type environments, um, there also can be, depending if, if you discern correctly and find the right mentor for you or the right group for you um, opportunities that can really further your career simply by being a part of a, a deeper dive, a, a less you know sort of high level um, conversational community and one that's more tactical into okay we're gonna we're gonna do this training or someone who's bringing in multiple speakers to teach you or um, giving you access to knowledge and information that you wouldn't otherwise have access to for free in combination with, let's say, that that connection of, alongside others who are doing what you're doing and kind of combining those components I've seen folks have a lot of success with. Um, and so kind of taking that into account as well and saying, okay, you know, I, I know what I need to get out of it and I know what I'm willing to put into it. Let's look at the landscape. And so yes, peer-to-peer, also, you know, sort of mentor-to-mentee type communities, Um, there's also grassroots meetups happening all the time, every day. I mean, truly like less formal, less organized, but still deeply meaningful and incredibly impactful where, and I talk about this in the book where, you know, I give great examples of how to go find this, these communities and I align them on different right now. We're talking a little more on the professional side, but, um, in the book giving kind of a wide range of like, Hey, here's how you find them. But if you can't find them, there's also this opportunity for something a little more grassroots where you can create them. And so, Taking that step to actually identify perhaps three to five people that you would love to be in community with that you think to yourself, whether it's on Twitter that you've connected, whether you attended a different event at a different community and you, you know, hit it off with a couple people, not hesitating to reach out and saying, Hey, if it's you know virtual, if it needs to be virtual, hey, could we do um, a virtual meetup and and connect and talk about you know, insert subject here that seems to be of interest to all of us? I'd really, I'd really love to just Chat and then from there, if it if it seems successful and it seems like something you want to continue doing, making it a regular meetup. Um, some of the most, by the way, some of the most successful groups are not these massive organizations and and large communities connected to bigger, bigger orgs, bigger products. Um, you know, like I even think about what we do, it's not always the right fit for people. Sometimes the most impactful meetups are three people grabbing coffee once a week, you know? Right, yeah, or th- You know, five people once a quarter getting together to connect on a a certain subject. Um, And I've seen that. I mean, at HoneyBook, we have folks who, you know, work on our ops team, for instance, that started meetups with other tech ops team individuals in the city. Now, granted, not over the last year, but prior to that. Where they would get together and just talk shop and just connect and share what's working for their company, what's not working, what learnings they've had, what struggles they're facing, and the amount of innovation that then came into our company based on you know members of our ops team saying, Well, hey, you know, so-and-so has tried this approach and it's working really well, or they faced this problem in scaling too. And now, you know, they're they're kind of leaning in a different direction and they've seen seen this output, which which lends us to the next part of this conversation that you raised, which is KPIs or how are we measuring, right? How are we measuring the ROI of time Mm -hmm. spent in community? And so obviously the KPIs that I experience and and have to kind of come up against quarter by quarter as a professional community builder are going to look different than your personal perhaps goals um, and your personal metrics that you might set around, you know, is this time spent worth the investment? And so look here would be my, my best recommendation going back to the initial answer to this question having the clarity around what you want to accomplish is the place to start and then building goals and and very clear performance indicators from there and saying for instance um, you know I want to pivot in my career and um, in order to make this pivot in my career and go from X to y, I, you know, really am going to need to a learn more skills and have access to education. B, create more relationships in this arena such that I'm getting access or knowledge to what job opportunities are opening or what's happening in the field, and setting those benchmarks accordingly. So it might look as simple as, you know, I want to make five key relationships in the next mm. quarter with folks who are one stage in business ahead of me um but are in my space and in my arena. And it could be something very simple. Like that is a very simple metric to make. And you make a list. And actually, when I when I talk to folks who are doing who are struggling with kind of like, hey, where do I begin? I sometimes say, make a list of five people you want to connect with. Tape it behind your computer, and then actually keep track of how often you're engaging with these people. Right? Mm. Um, I don't know if anyone else is, has object permanence issues, but listen, I do. And if I don't tape it behind my computer, I'm going to forget to constantly engage and stay on top of nurturing these, these relationships for the long run. And I actually have lists where I'll rotate through. For me, it's more about loving on folks in the community that I see stepping up. And I'm like, right, I want to make sure I'm constantly letting them know that I see them. And so I have little lists of my own to help help me stay on top of this. But it, mm. it is, it's sometimes as simple as saying, hey, in order for me to go to the next level, I need to connect with five key people. And these are the people I'd like to connect with And and showing up value-driven always, um, you know, from the start of what you can give, not what you can get, how you can serve, not what you can take or gain, and continuing that throughout the relationship. But then also I talk about education, and sometimes that's a component of it too, where it's like, hey, you know, in order for me to make this pivot or in order for me to grow professionally, I need to learn XYZ. I need to strengthen my skills in this space. And you can also, yet again, build key performance indicators based on that. If it's a certification that you need, if it's a language you need to learn, if it's, um, you know, a, a new technology you need to become fluent in, if if it's whatever that looks like for you, aligning that really clearly is critical because I think sometimes we think about community building or access to networks and community as something that is a bonus, a nice to have. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, no know I should be doing that, but rarely do we recognize that, It can be one of, if not the, key ways to change our trajectory. It can be one of the fastest routes from A to B because relationships are what drive industries. Relationships are what drive opportunities. Relationships are what make or break a business, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so... I've seen it time and time again, and I think, I think sometimes it, it just requires you understanding what you want to get out of a community, what you have to offer a community, and what your goals are either personally or professionally for engaging you know and investing time. And then the rest sort of falls into place based on your unique circumstances or time constraints, desires, um, whatever that may be. And again, it, it can look different for everyone, but I think I hope that's a, a, at least a framework from, from where you can begin.
0: Yeah, and I loved your uh, objectives that you gave. Those are, are so manageable and so measurable. Um, you don't need to be like a finance person to see if that's working or not. And I think that's so yeah, important is just some people, if, if they're measuring the wrong thing, they may think that they're in the right direction. They may think that, oh, this justifies spending more time on it, but maybe it doesn't because they're just not measuring something that's easily discernible as like valuable. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. How did you How did that grow so large? Was it was it a case of of people you know bringing other people in or like how did it have to get so large? I think people are probably really interested yes. to know. <laughs>
1: yes. So I you know, Rising Tide, it grew and grows um very much organically and so we experienced I think primarily in the early days, especially a tremendous amount of growth by adding our local chapters. And so what makes Rising Tide a little bit different is that we are both online and in person. And so many of the communities that um, previously I had been a part of were were Facebook groups that didn't have that in-person element. And so what we found is that in starting to grow Rising Tide, so many of our local leaders were the key to kind of cracking the code to growth. And I'm also always very hesitant, by the way. Whenever I talk about growth, I think I think we've become a world that's very consumed with vanity metrics. And we've become a world that's very like, oh wow, well, rising tide, that's so big. And like they'll people are, people are shocked when they'll go to a different city and they're like, wait, you mean there's a meetup here too? You know, like, oh, wait, and there's a meetup there too? Like, wow, this is even bigger than I thought. Um, and I always kind of hesitate to say, like, you know, growth is is obviously the goal for so many, but um, it also comes with its own unique challenges. <laughs> and um scaling especially scaling with intention and wanting to maintain the intimacy of a true community is very very difficult at at large quantities and large numbers and so kind of referencing back we found that with our local leaders they were deeply connected to their their own communities their own networks their own areas and so by growing not by one member at a time but by one leader at a time um we actually experienced much more rapid growth and so i think sometimes you know And actually, you referenced this earlier on when you said, you know, sometimes the most important component of a community is how its moderators moderate, right, or how people are engaged. And I believe that. I believe a community is only as good as its leaders and it's only as good as its moderators or it's only as good as not just the members that are a part of it but the folks who are leading the way. And so our leaders really supported that growth. Um, You know, adding one chapter in a city and adding one leader often meant adding, you know, 20 to 30 people if not more. Um, depending on the location. Obviously, a bigger city, we're talking thousands of people. A smaller town, we're talking maybe 100, 200 small business owners. So the leaders definitely helped when we talk about growth. But I also think that we leverage technology to our advantage. And when we first started Rising Tide, it was sort of right at, I hate to call it the heyday of Instagram because I don't want to allude to the fact that Instagram is dying or dead in any way. But I do want to say that it was at a point where Instagram was starting to hit its peak. And it was at a point where when we started sharing about Rising Tide on Instagram, hashtags could trend on the platform. And so our hashtag continually trended on the platform we continually saw a ton of organic reach and engagement, not only in our content, but in the content being shared by our local groups and chapters. And so we truly scaled by ultimately taking one step at a time and growing the community, leveraging what we knew about these platforms to grow. Um, And Instagram being the the primary platform that we've used. I mean, we don't really even use Twitter, um, not really LinkedIn. I mean, we don't use any of this. Instagram was where we kind of found our sweet spot because of the community that we focus on, which are creative entrepreneurs. So they're creating content at the time, videos and photos primarily. Uh, um, that makes sense. Right, right. Actually, it's funny. I am i don't spend much to any time on Twitter to the point where over the last year, my husband had said, Matt, you should check out Twitter. And I was like, no one uses Twitter. And <laughs> I'm
0: like, I forget.
1: <laughs> I forget that it's just my circle, like my little pocket of the universe in the creative space where – yeah, okay. A lot of creatives, with the exclusion of like writers obviously love Twitter or on Twitter frequently. A lot of marketers love Twitter or on Twitter frequently. But a lot of the artists, the makers, the photographers, um, you know, they're they're more on Instagram or even now TikTok has become huge. So it's it's interesting. But all that to say, like aligning with the platform that aligned with the community, showing up where they are is critical. And the same goes if you're looking for community, like look for community where you are. If you spend time on Twitter, there are so many communities on Twitter. So many Mm -hmm. people starting conversations on Twitter, right? If you are on Instagram, the same goes. Facebook, the same goes. Um, LinkedIn, exactly the same goes. And so it's interesting, but we met them where they were at. We leveraged the technology as we could and we grew one leader by one leader, which enabled those local chapters to to kind of push our growth and our scale um, rather quickly in the beginning. And then the challenges too that come with that, you know, having so much growth so quickly and having it happen, I think, with the team that we had in place, because again, I am I was at the time a wedding photographer. I was not a professional community builder. Um, and even what the, the idea and term community builder meant, even just three years ago, compared to today, where it seems like it's a hot button conversation everywhere I look. And it shocks me because, and I should have known better, but it shocks me because I remember... So fiercely having to convince folks of the ROI of community, you know, not that long ago, mm. looking at me like I was nuts. And someone said to me, well, you know, they used to think this way about social media. You know, it used to True. be what's the ROI of that. Media? <laughs> And that was the big question of like, what do you mean my brand needs to be on the internet? What do you mean it has to be have a social, you know? Component, like what is a social media manager anyway? What do you do all day on your phone? Right. Like that, there was a time not too long ago, I shall mention, uh, when that was the question. And now we're seeing again that shift happen in this community space where folks are like, you know, whoa, wow, you're, you know, that company has a community. Look what's happening to their growth. Or, you know, that person really invested in those relationships and look at where they ended up in their career. Like, look who they're, look what company they're working for now. How'd they get that opportunity? And Coming back to like, well, they invested in, you know, relationships. They invested in their community that was doing that work at different places and those opportunities. Often, uh, truly, I mean, and, and I know you've seen this too, but a lot of opportunities never make their way onto public websites. Like some careers don't ever make it to the career page. Um, mm-hmm. That as they open up, sometimes it's sort of like, well, hey, um, you know, let's let's interview candidates and they'll work with an agency and it's it's all about relationships. So it's so fascinating to me. I think. The direction that community is going, both in the personal and the professional, both for product based communities and for grassroots movements um, and the opportunities that exist in the space today that that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. But it's an exciting time, I think, for all of us to engage with one another in community and for those who are interested in building it or creating it um, or leading within one that already exists to kind of start to take those steps to establish ourselves more deeply.
0: Well, I think you're for someone who's not um, primarily on Twitter, I think you're doing an amazing job because that's actually how I discovered you. And I wasn't even yes. looking for guests or anything. I just, I think you, I can't remember. I should have kept track, but I think you responded to someone's tweet or something. And then I read your bio and I was like, what? That's exactly what about. <laughs> I need to have her. So good for you for... I'm trying. The large, yeah.
1: Ashley, I'm <laughs> really. My feet.
0: husband is pushing
1: me to be on Twitter. I am really trying. <laughs> well,
0: you're doing an awesome job, and and I know it's hard juggling different communities, especially when, like, we're talking about ROA and and you know not overextending yourself and all that. It's it's hard to to juggle. So, that's really impressive. I actually didn't even know you were on Instagram. Yeah, that's that's no comment on you. I'm just not really active there. But um, that's great. And I think one of the aversions people have to community, and and it's the same reason I I noticed as a consultant, um, people had similar aversions and still do about social media, is there's this idea that if it's not a place to hustle, like to broadcast and try to get a direct sale, you know, like try to open and close a sale, if that's not what happens, that means it's not valuable. And I think that myth still is around not just even with older people, but I find younger people too. It's like the whole concept of community. I still, I, I feel is still new and I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I, I find that even with talking to people, like sometimes it's really about going to the, to the fundamentals about like, what does it mean to be like one human to another and what do we mm-hmm. get out of that? And I find usually when I break it down like that, people, are a little more receptive to the idea of, you you know, community being worth something investing in. Yeah. Sorry?
1: Go ahead. I was going to say, I have an unpopular opinion here that I'd love not to stir up some drama um, here today on the (laughs) podcast, but I do have an unpopular opinion here. I think, I think often we're very Um, Mm short-sighted. Often we, like for example, if it's not going to close a sale. Then when I invest my time, and I think that that stems from a fact that so many companies are built on customer and client acquisition models and not built on evangelism models, and we're moving as a society in a direction where every human being has a platform, every human being has a voice that now can be heard on these on the you know the social media platforms that exist and the platforms they've now built on these platforms right, and so businesses I believe in the future, and let's circle back in a couple of years and see if I'm right here. Um, Businesses in the future that focus not just on acquisition, but actually on evangelism, that focus not just on converting someone to customer or on acquiring the client, but instead on how they actually make that customer feel, how they make that client feel, and how they nurture that relationship to the point where that individual wants to shout from the rooftops about their experience, become the evangelist that organically markets that brand. You know, I think that is the future of commerce. And when we start to see people—and, granted, love or hate Kylie Jenner—when we start to see people, <laughs> like Kylie Jenner, step into the arena of making what nine hundred million, or being worth something like nine hundred million. I know, I know, she's crossed the billionaire threshold. I know that's been a conversation, but more recently there were some metrics that came out when she has nine employees. Listen to me very carefully: nine <laughs> employees. Okay we would be silly not to take note to what's happening, to how people make purchasing decisions, how the next generation is choosing where to invest their money. And it's not just based on strategies of the past of being acquired as a customer. It's based on social proof. And it's based on Mm. what people are talking about. And it's based on how that company makes people feel and whether they're willing to stand up and rally and fight behind a message that's greater than the brand itself. And we're seeing that played out in different arenas. Again, it doesn't necessarily apply to certain Companies it it won't work for every brand, but we're seeing a shift in how people make purchasing decisions that I think we're just starting to understand because the technologies are so new, and even the way that platforms that we've used now for a decade almost. I mean, I think about you know what was it 2010? I can't remember when I first started getting on Twitter and Instagram and all all those places. But even even those platforms that we've used every decade, they're no longer the platforms they were a decade ago, and that's by design. That's because the way people are engaging with this content has changed. Um, and, and the way people are making these purchasing decisions has changed. And so I would, I would kind of flip back to saying, I get it. I get the understanding that, look, if I can't see the clear ROI in terms of sale, acquisition, money in my brand's pocket or career opportunity door opening the minute, you know, I touch the doorknob, um, then why invest? And, and I think it's because we have to understand that that's a short-sighted thinking that's playing the short-term game. When we really should be ultimately playing the long-term game, looking down the line at where things are going, not just where they are, seeing how the shifts in, in our society are happening very, very rapidly and how we make these purchasing decisions, what brands we align behind, you know, how people ultimately enter a marketplace and find success, whether it's a startup or, you know, even brands as they go through rebrands and shift their positioning. I look at Ari and Victoria's Secret as a great example of this and sort of what happened when. You know, Aerie recognized this gap in the market, made a strategic business decision to say, hey, we're going to be the most inclusive, um, you know, underwear, lingerie, and, and athleisure kind of brand here in the space. We're going to start doing, you know, not uh, models, but, you know, you know these, these different types of ambassadors. And I think they call them um, Aerie, it's like spokesmodels or real models. And, and And they shifted their entire model of how to market. And then you witnessed as Victoria's Secret became less and less relevant by the year. And now this year even Sports Illustrated on their runway had plus size and mid size models had women of all like all shapes sizes colors everything they shifted an industry by paying attention to the trends and paying attention ultimately to what people were talking about, and what the pain points were, and how to show up and serve a community. And they built a movement. Ari built a movement that now Victoria's Secret has even started to shift and change some of how they're operating because it ultimately began to take away their, their market share. And I can tell you growing up, I used, to, I used to, it's like, oh, Victoria's Secret, that's where you go to buy you know, your bra and your underwear. I haven't walked into a Victoria's Secret or shopped from Victoria's Secret now Eight years? Seven years? Right? And why is that? And starting to evaluate, well, because I'm hearing about brands from my friends and they're not aligned anymore with what that company is about. And so starting to evaluate, how did that happen? When did that happen? Why is why is that happening more and more? And not just in lifestyle brands that we engage with, but even at the SaaS level, like where a company's decision on a certain topic can go viral and impact how users are using that product. Um, and that's that's community at work. That is the power of opinion and, and conversation. And so I think it's short-sighted for us, for companies, um, you know, whether it's the individual or the institution to think, eh, it's not worth my time to worry about it today, or it's not worth my time to invest in it today when it's, it's moving mountains and, and changing commerce right before our eyes.
0: Yeah. I, I actually, in, in the first podcast I did, we spoke about the power of advocacy and, uh, how, you know, no matter how small, this was with uh, Kendrick Eragon, if anyone wants to refer back. Um, It doesn't matter how small your company is, it doesn't matter how, like, little influence you have or or anything, anyone can have advocates. If people are personally invested in what you're doing, if if they have some sort of stake in it, they will support you, they will talk about you. It's not a popularity contest, necessarily. And you can get so much Um, even content out of just the insights of just listening to those people and listening to what your advocates want. So they can not only push your brand forward for you and help you scale because they they tell your friends, sort of compounds. Yeah. So um, we were just talking about advocacy and why it's really, really important and anyone can do it always accessible as long as you're invested in what your community is invested in. I think that's all I had to say. Yeah, it's it's really amazing that like no matter what your bandwidth, no matter how like low your influence is, you can still either create a community or participate in one. Hello? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Oh, yep, sorry. There was some sort of glitch. I didn't hear you for a second. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I will give your info in the outro. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? I should have asked you this earlier, but that's okay.
1: No, no, not at all. This has been such an incredible conversation and I'm so grateful to,
0: to get to sit with you. Oh, nice. Oh, just one more question. So for HoneyBook, uh, how did that, how did that come about? Were you, were they just really impressed with your community building work or? So
1: HoneyBook actually discovered what we were doing at Rising Tide several months after launching. And um, initially, we connected with the company in the hopes of partnering and creating some sort of lasting relationship. But after meeting and within truly like several hours of just deep diving with our CEO, Oz, realized that there was so much more we could do together, um, decided that we wanted to pursue instead acquisition. And so HoneyBook acquired Rising Tide back in, I want to make sure I get my year right, 2016, 2015. Um, And I've I've been a part of the team ever since, both maintaining Rising Tide and, and kind of growing and nurturing our community there and working internally at HoneyBook to support our members and cultivate really extraordinary experiences for 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 those in our in our HoneyBook community too
0: awesome it sounds like a perfect marriage with with HoneyBook uh, making so many things uh so many processes automated so mm-hmm. the freelancers can scale which is so exciting that that wasn't necessarily possible even just a few years ago <laughs> awesome yeah. well thanks so much for for joining me um I will let you know when the podcast is live I'm not sure when because I still have a few bunch to uh I think I have three or four to release um, but thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And it was really lovely chatting with you, Natalie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was such a wonderful conversation.
0: Oh, nice. We well, have a great weekend and I'll um, probably see you on Twitter or maybe Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Sounds good, Ashley. Thank you so much.
0: No problem. Bye-bye.
1: Bye bye. Bye.
0: Huge thanks to Natalie Frank for, for being a guest on my podcast this episode. I love chatting with her and, uh, yeah, it's really exciting to hear what other people can do for their own communities, not just a big company or, or someone who understands marketing really well. Um, anyone can do this. I love, love how empowering her messages are. Uh, so if you want to check out the show notes, go to ashleyashby.com slash podcast. And, uh, thanks again, Natalie and tune in for my next episode. Bye!